Can you do like a dirty sparkling water? Maybe. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shao Kazal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week we're going to be talking about unleashing developer creativity and productivity through automation and AI. Enormous gains can be created through correct set of tooling, correct platforming for developers, and we're going to explore that subject today in some detail. But before that, Rob and I talk regularly about what's going on in the world and in the world of tech. And often, as I've said before, he's walking around, holding his head, trying to get his head around something. What's confusing you this week, Rob? This week, Dave, it's people who create stuff that we just don't need. Now, they say necessity is the mother of invention, but sometimes it appears that lack of necessity appears to be the mother of invention as well. <laughs> I'm going to use I'm going to use a, a device that I've seen and is, is saleable. Apparently, an internet-connected toaster. And I just cannot, for the life of me, work out what the value proposition is of having an internet-connected toaster. So what does the enablement do? You can control the toaster from an app on your phone via the internet. And I'm like... I think it's brilliant. (laughs) Well, (laughs) When I'm leaving the office and I'm almost at home, I can turn on the toaster. (laughs) <laughs> so, so, yeah, so you so, arrive with a fresh, hot, lovely. I, have, I don't think I've I've done fifty episodes with Shauki, and now I've never seen her so excited about anything. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, you're like, I get, I get, like smart home and home automation and turning the heating on as it detects you nearby and all that sort of stuff. All very good, but they're just, I just feel like. I'd love to have been in the production meeting of saying, have I got an idea for you? Let's create one of these. The workshop was called, what can we internet enable? And then (laughs) they had like loads of different devices around and they're just striking stuff off like, and then they get down to like a juicer or a toaster. (laughs) You can imagine top management coming down and saying, right, I've heard IoT is a thing. Internet enable every one of our products. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I just don't get it. I, I can get, I just, I just, who needs it? And if you are a fan of internet connected toasters, please let us know. Cause I cannot work out why such a thing exists. But anyway, that's what's confusing me. It's a fair confusion. Cause the big scale up of that, of course, when you look at sort of corporate tech is where somebody builds like an enormous platform for something where they haven't really identified a use case or the use case is so niche that like, you know, you, you could have done it without any of the, you know, 50 million of additional investment you had to put into something. And and then no one can quite work out another use case. So, you know, you have a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come situation around it like a giant platform. <laughs> so I think, I think you raise a good point. And I think we've moved past that in some of the new models of organization where you, people are now thinking much more in outcome terms and yeah. in use case terms, but, you know, perhaps not in the, toaster world (laughs) it's like who stands back and says i'm glad i spent 400 pounds on that toaster i just want to meet that person well look on that note i think we've solved that problem for you rob so i think we've worked through that very clearly (laughs) and we've got to we've got to a solid conclusion and let's turn to our guest today and our main subject of uh, developer automation 
I'm absolutely delighted to say that joining us this week is Ramiro Berriessa, founder and chief executive at Octeto. Welcome, Ramiro. Great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Just want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Octeto. Hi, everybody. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. My name is Ramiro Berriessa. I am, as you said, founder of Octeto. And Octeto is a platform that allows software teams to automate uh, their entire developer experience, everything from remote dev environments to cloud infra, access to secrets, all with a focus on making developers more effective and to bring you know, more joy to the software development process. Tell us about the founding idea for Octeto and then what the first steps you took on the founding journey were, Ramiro. That's an interesting, interesting story. I've been an engineer my entire career. Before Octeto, I've worked on small startups, big tech, consulting, like everything. And one of the constant kind of pain points I've always had as, as a developer was just how hard it was to kind of get to work. Like you have a new project, you're working with a new code base or simply like a new feature of, of your existing project. And just that sheer amount of time it took to, hey, get your database, get your data, run your services. It was something that always annoyed me as like, why we have to do this every time? Especially when I started working at some point in my career, I work at Microsoft and I was working on an Azure the cloud service. And that to me was kind of like that tipping point where we were building this cloud spanning services and yet everything was running locally, manually configured. And that's when like, I started to feel like, hey, this is, this is not the right way to do. So I started building some things kind of proto-Octero while at Microsoft internally, then moved to Atlassian, kind of had the same challenges. So then when, when my co-founders and I were discussing, hey, what do we want to build? What's our next thing? It became very natural to all of us say, hey, you know, we all have this problem. This is still there. As we all move to containers, microservices, now like WebAssembly, serverless, this problem is only getting worse. And we felt like giving our experience and our kind of view of this, we had a good chance of like making a difference and building this tool that, you know, the three of us wanted to have mm. 10 mm. years past. And, and that was the, the genesis of the idea. Of course, over time, it has, you know, as, as we, as we talk to more customers, as, as the product has evolved, we've changed things, but the core vision of developer experience automation and a fast inner loop and just kind of like making it easy for developers to, to do the, their thing and not have to worry about all these preparatory steps is, is core to our company and it's something that I believe very strongly on uh, about. So maybe for those of us that aren't developers on a day-to-day -day basis, like specifically, what does it do? How does it help the developer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know, one of our, I'm going to go with one of our typical you know, customers, which is you know, it's a company who's building software for the cloud and imagine that your solution has, and this is becoming more and more common, 20, 30 microservices plus databases plus data. In the old world, you'll have to run all this by hand, whether it's locally in your, in your laptop using something like Docker Compose, or maybe you have access to a cluster where you can run this and you have to deploy it manually. Hmm. What Octeto does is it lets the platform team pre-configure this for you. They give you access to a, a dashboard or a command line tool. And then you go there, you run a single command, Octero, deploy. And all this provision of infrastructure, services, building container images, seeding 
your databases with data all happens really fast and automatically so that you don't have to think about it. You click the button, your environment, this ephemeral environment is up and running in a couple of minutes. You do your work. With Octeto, you can do things like synchronize your code into this environment, do remote debugging, uh, hard reload your changes so that you can go really fast. And then when you're done working, you destroy the environment and your work is done. And the next day or the next feature, you do it again. And that way you don't have to think about all these steps. You don't have to carry kind of like the, you know, this cognitive load of like everything that I need to do by hand before I get ready to work. And how does that sit alongside for say platform teams where they're running sort of pre-configured cloud platforms and providing that to say product teams, just describe how like Octeto then would fit into that stack. Yeah, so it's it's super complementary, and most of our customers are platform teams. And what they do is they will take Octeto, they will take the cloud provider, they will take all these other things in half, and we give them the the APIs and you know the connection points to put it all together, so that you know one of our of our kind of guiding lights here is you have to meet developers where they are. You can't force developers to change clouds. You can't force developers to change the tooling they're using to deploy their applications. Soctero gives platform teams the ability to kind of use Soctero as a base, then add the integrations to their cloud services, their own application definitions, and then they can package the entire thing on you know, what I think is a that. I hope it's a nice UI, a very easy to use dashboard. So And then from there, developers can just use it. And Octeto, we have multiple versions of our product, but our most popular one runs on our customer's cloud. So it's there, sitting right next to all their workloads. Because for us, one of the very important things is we want this ephemeral dev environments to be as close as possible yeah. to production. And that means same cloud, same configuration, same kind of tooling, as close as possible, right? It's a really nice way to do it. You've got that integrates with what the developers have already created because often in tech communities, they can get very emotional about what they've built very close to it. So that's key. So you're not taking away something that they're invested in, but also then being close to the environment under their control, also within their realm. That's also an important thing to so people think they're in control of the destiny of what they're about to release. And then you've got that hyper automation that makes everything consistent. So the service managers at the other end in the product groups are all happy because they know when they hit the release button, it's likely to work. As long as the code's right, obviously, but hopefully your QA process must have. But it's quite a nice model. You're not steamrolling over everything and throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but you're integrating with a pre-existing thing and then that's you probably find engineers are more accepting of that approach it's a nice easy way to get to that hyper automation point yeah i know you're 100 percent right and you touched on something very important that we've seen over and over again which is in one side the, the emotional aspect of like you know we developers build things we have tools that you like that you spend time learning yeah i think something that platforms in the past have gotten wrong, or even some platform teams is coming with this idea of like, we're going to replace everything you do with this new way of doing things. And you know, it might be better, but the friction that introduces, you know, most, most developers are like, hey, I just want to do my job. Like, I don't want to have to learn this 20 new things. So for anybody introducing a platform into an organization, I think that is very important to kind of like present this and what we try to do with our product as an extension of what you're already doing. Like in our case, if you're already doing things like using containers, if you're using something like you know open source technologies like Helm, Customize, or, or even Docker Compose, 
We allow you to bring that into the Octero-powered environments because we want to be an extension of what we do. And that makes it a lot easier for them to get on board. And then as they see the value of the platform, then they might start to modify some things they do to make it fit better with like the whatever the platform team's idea of the new workflow must be like. But it has to be this gradual change where developers see value clearly mm-hmm. for this to make sense. So in terms then of the business value it delivers, maybe let's start with developer productivity itself. So what kind of productivity uplifts have you been measuring? And is it like significant? It, it is actually surprisingly significant. A few of our customers are now doing internal surveys, measurements, you know, Dora, mm-hmm. all these things. And and they discovered a couple of like very interesting inflection points. The first one is on onboarding new engineers. Mm-hmm. Like one of our largest customers launched Darkly. One of the things they were really focused on is, hey, we want to build a good engineering culture where, you know, it's hard to hire developers. It's hard to hire great developers. And when you hire them, you want them to be effective. You want them to feel good about it. So for them, they had some very ambitious goals of like, hey, I want to hire somebody and I want them to be effective very quickly. So the fact that with Octero, your short circuit, how long it takes to spin up an environment substantially reduces the onboarding time. Like we're seeing customers where, you know, the developers are now being able to push to production on the first week rather than the first month. And this is not only the productivity doing onboarding, but this sets up the developer kind of like their morale and their willingness to kind of like push the envelope in a different trajectory because they understand that they work for an organization that cares about the craft that wants to make it easier for them to get their job done um, and just kind of go fast. That's one. And the other is, and, and Rob, you were talking about this earlier, is as you give developers access to environments that look a lot more like production, instead of just running things on their laptops, the amount of production-only bugs goes down. And also the mean time to resolution goes down. Because now developers have an instant environment where they can like say, hey, this broke in production. Okay, hurry up, spin up an environment, run it there. You, ha- you very quickly have a way to reproduce the issue, fix it, release it. And, and we've seen this happens uh, both because they have access to the same kind of technologies. They now are used to like using those tools and also because they can experiment sooner in the cycle. Then that means they, they're not kind of like throwing the code and saying, hey, I hope it'll work in production. Now they're more certain. Yeah. Now they're building um, for these platforms. And those two things for me have been very interesting because it's it's definitely in line with what I want as a developer. Uh, we build this very focused on the fast kind of like feedback loop, but then we kind of started seeing these other benefits and now we're focused a lot more on enabling that as well. But those benefits are huge. So a lot of people would write a business case based on developer productivity onboarding, you know, the tangibles that you can measure. But the intangibles are there about a better product in live, less risk of reputational damage, better end user experience. If you've ever been on the end of a flaky website and you need a service out of it, it's one of the most frustrating things going. But you're much more likely to return to a service that's dependable, always there with a consistent response time. So being able to engineer in production-like environments means you've got more confidence. It's just better for everyone and better business. And I think 
a lot of people don't appreciate the power of giving the developers access to this type of capability in a cost-effective way, obviously underpinned by cloud and the whole ephemeral nature of it means it's there when I need it and it's gone when it's you know, when I don't. And that that means you can work in a very efficient compute way as well. So it's not only, but also sustainable as well, isn't it? So it's it's greener, it's better, it's faster, more reliable, and you get a better end result. I think we need to talk more about that and argue. It's really nice to hear you say that those are the sorts of things that you're bringing to the fore to help organizations do better. A couple of the things that Rob touched on there actually are a good bridge into where I was going to take the conversation next, because I'm interested to know the conversations you're having with like tech leadership particularly in organizations that are more legacy in nature. So, you know, if you're talking to someone like LaunchDarkly, then obviously they're, you know, like a a cloud native tech house in their own right. They're going to get this stuff right away. But what sort of conversations are you having, not necessarily about the the tool set itself, but actually some of the challenges that we've been talking about and are they receptive to it? Do they get the relationship between some of the productivity aspects and developer emotional aspects that we've been talking about and actually the fact that they're going to get better products at the end of it. That has been, and it's a great topic. I love talking about this because this, this for me as, as a founder of, of Octeto has been one of the most surprising things because the answer, like the short answer is yes, they, they care a lot about it more than I initially thought. Hmm. Like hmm. Yeah, through, through my job, I get a chance to like talk to like very senior tech leadership. And not like long ago, I was talking to the CTO of a global bank. And I was very surprised to hear how all these concerns about fast onboarding, developer velocity, morale, uh, willingness to experiment were top of mind for, for this kind of like super high level leadership. And I'm talking here about like, you know, CTOs of organizations with five, 10,000 developers, right? Mm. And what's interesting and, and kind of his point to this was, it's kind of like a very interesting kind of twofold answer. One is when you have more developers, productivity, like anything you do to increase productivity has an outsized result. Like, you know, a company with 200 engineers, if you give them back an hour, you get, you know, 200 hours. If you have 10,000 engineers and you're saving everybody an hour, that's like a massive difference in productivity. And the other for a lot of this, of this leadership was around being able to keep people productive, excited, and, you know, to be able to focus on what they do, because one of the big differences I've seen between large companies and small organizations, especially startups, is, you know, large organizations have better processes, typically, more clearly defined roles and responsibilities. You know, startups can be messy where, like, everybody kind of does everything and you're trying to, like, pitch in. Larger orgs are more regimented. You know, you have the front-end team, the back-end team, the API team, the whatever. Mm -hmm. So in this kind of world, being able to automate everything that you're not supposed to be an expert on is a huge productivity boost. Like imagine that um, you have in a bank, there's a team that's building the new website for, for, for your transactions, for your like checking your balance. Expecting the front end team to be experts on infrastructure, on security, on you know how to spin up a, an API, it's a waste of time. But if you automate all of that for them, so they can click one button, spin up this final environment, and then they can work on the UX of the of the of the website, which is their core value, their core strength. That makes them happier, more effective, and just better at their jobs. 
And that's something that I think we all feel it. We all feel this kind of like, you know, the last 10 years we've been, you know, the shift left movement has added a lot more responsibilities to developers. Mm. I think these large orgs feel it even more. And and it's a mix of, of different reasons, but I think one of them is is this, is is that they need to be more specialized because they're bigger orgs, a lot more at risk. Uh, and that's very interesting how this conversation very quickly went from, as you're saying, the kind of more modern software first uh, companies all the way to traditional enterprises. Like yeah, can name names, but on our customer list, um, sure. they're like global insurance companies, global like, grocery brands, because they build software and they care about productivity. But the thing, I mean, as you touch on, if you get to a level of 10,000 developers, the amount of effort it takes to get them all in line and ordered and get a product out of the end is is really quite an art form on that scale. And what you talk about there is by removing unnecessary interactions and allowing you to automate it, there's there's less touch points in the system. And then suddenly things work a lot faster. If you've ever been in very large complex orgs and there isn't the level of automation you talk about and the amount of interaction, because it absolutely kills the productivity of the teams because they're all overlapping and interacting with each other. You get loads of many to many relationships and it just falls away, doesn't it? So, I mean, it is absolutely the linchpin of a very, very large development organizations. If they don't do this, then you're in trouble mm. i think a lot of people got their weekends back right <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, heading hands on a sunday at four o'clock in the afternoon going yeah but why isn't it working yes type conversations <laughs> and the developer says yeah it works on my machine yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked over there in that environment yeah oh, dear that, that is my mission to eradicate, eradicate that works on my machine and say hey yeah, it works everywhere <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm interested in some of the things you touched on there about those legacy organizations rather than new software first. So I think our read on this is a lot of legacy organizations quite rightly are looking at transitioning to more platforms and products style working and are maybe trying to get their head around what the platform organization should ideally provide into the product domains and into the product towers to enable and not constrain developer creativity and developer productivity in those towers. So what advice would you give to an organization that's maybe just starting out on that journey, trying to understand what that platform capability and organization should be? Oh, that's, that's, that's great. Uh, for me, and, and when I talk to this with orgs, like the first advice is platform teams, whether it's a small team or, or a full organization, they need to understand that the developers are their customers. Like, I think we need to move away from the old school model where, you know, the platform teams or IT, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's there to say no and to kind of put blocks. And that was kind of like the old school, kind of very defensive. Yeah. And, and they have to move to this world of like, they need to be enablers. They need to be accelerators. I have a good friend, Ivan, Ivan Pedraza. He used to work at State Street uh, in London. Now works for Docker. And he has this really cool metaphor that he talks about how, you know, platform teams are like, you know, when you're running a marathon, the people who are there to kind of give you water or the pacers, that is the platform team. Like mm -hmm. our role as platform builders is to enable all these teams to do the best job they can. So I think it's very important to understand. Yeah, it's not to sort of control and govern and, you know, support, but in the old notion of like, hey, yeah, I'm going to queue you with a ticket. I love the idea of it's like a pacer or giving water or something along those lines. It's a really different philosophy. Yeah, and, and it requires a change because it's it's kind of an art because 
also it's true that you know platforms need to govern. Platforms need to like kind of draw the the sandbox. Say, hey, this is what you're allowed to do. But if they do it in a way that is kind of like this supportive manner, it's helpful because no developer wants to be faced with like, hey, here's a blank page of unlimited choices. But by the way, some of them are wrong. And you're going to get <laughs> Yeah, punished. yeah, yeah. And if you but, get it wrong, we're coming for you. <laughs> exactly. But you have to figure it out. Like, nobody wants that. In right? a supportive uh, way, though. In a supportive <laughs> but painful yeah. way. Yeah, we're yeah. Coming it's so much you. better if I give you, here's an offer with everything that is pre-approved. Like, I, have, I was talking to somebody else the other day, and, and they talked about how, you know what? Like, our job is to remove the chance for you to waste time on, like, yeah. wrong choices. I wouldn't mind that just generally in, in life. life yeah, yeah. You know. in life yeah, yeah. I, I i think you got that's copyright cloud reality is yeah. that product but I, I think there's a i think there's a product in that there's a, a, a little alarm goes off and said you're about to make a bad decision dave maybe you want to reconsider your choices in life again again you have some water <laughs> oh I, I can see that as like a pin an ai pin says hey maybe you should drink more water instead of yeah. another cup of coffee yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little gentle nudges in the right way, yeah. But I think that is actually something that applies to platforms as well. Like, like you know, especially like large organizations where, and I get it, standardization matters. Governance matters. Like if you're running in an org, you want things to be replicable so that when a new team comes in, they can pick up. And that's what platform teams need to like kind of play those two roles of like building this kind of like platform for the 80%. But they have to realize that and developers will find a way, the platform, if they don't feel supported. You know, and yeah, rogue they'll find a way thing. to do what they want to do. Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. So I think that that for me is a, is a and whenever I hear platform teams talking about like, oh yeah, no, we're partnering with this team to kind of like roll out this new version so we understand what they need and what are their pain points. I mean, that's exactly what we do as well. We talk to the platform teams to understand their own pain points. And taking that, call it kind of product mentality of like, hey, you have to assume that people... You want them to choose your platform, you know, even if it's mandatory, yeah. you want them to be like, oh, this is great. Thank you. It's saving me all this time. That, that to me is the, is the, yeah. the goal is of a platform, but it's also something that is, especially in like legacy enterprises, is something you have to like think about and actively, maybe even actively kind of fight the culture that might be around like saying no rather than enabling. But once you make that shift, and I've seen it done very successfully in like large organizations, like that partnership just just flourishes because of course, like I don't want to like deploy databases and have to figure out 35 parameters. I just want to do my job. So if you give me a big button and says, Hey, give me a database. Perfect. And it has the right labels and the right size and it's running the right data center and with the right firewall. And I don't have to think about it. That for me is a, is a net win. Like I'm going to fight you for, for let me configure firewalls by hand. Like, no, thanks. I want to build, you know, whatever my team's building, not this other layer. So that to me is, is where platform teams can really accelerate and legacy orgs as they invest in platform teams. This can be a huge kind of accelerator, All right. especially as they move, you know, as, as, as you kind of modernize. So if we, if we talk about then that as the, you know, that's all the benefit of moving to kind of more modern organizational structures, more correctly purposed platform teams and the tool set. I guess by way of maybe just bringing our conversation today to a bit of a close, let's talk about the elephant in the room, the thing that everybody's talking about, which is the impact of AI on all of this. And of course, there's, there's a lot of discourse at the moment about 
um, the developer and AI and and how that's going to get leveraged. Be great to hear your take on it, Ramiro, right at the coalface of this conversation. Yeah, I mean that's it's, it's a topic you can't avoid. I mean it's everywhere. I was at, at DockerCon yesterday, uh, two days past in Los Angeles, and one day was entirely devoted to AI. I mean it's something that is on everybody's mind. Uh, my take on that, and it's very similar to platforms. I think that what I see as the future of AI is in accelerating developers. Like even today, you can see things like Copilot or ChatGPT that you can now leverage them to help you automate those very repetitive tasks that don't require a lot of innovation. Like the other day, I was trying to run a SQL report and you know I forgot SQL, I don't run every day. So I just went to ChatGPT and said, hey, ChatGPT, I have this table with this shape. Please give me a query to extract the data. And it gave me the query I needed. Like I could have spent three hours going through tutorials and I would have get it done. But that saved me three hours. And that to me is very powerful. I think that so people feel like, oh, developers are going to be, you know, we don't need developers anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with that. I think that actually it's going to help developers focus on more high level tasks and less on the more routinary kind of repetitive tasks that we all need to do, like scaffolding projects. And what do you think that then enables? So if a developer can, with the help of your product, with the help of AI, can then really streamline what they're doing, what do you see as the future of the developer and what they can possibly deliver when they're being enabled to that level? For me, one of the things that I see is a developer that is closer to the problems they're solving and less concern of the shape of the code and like all these things, you know, like, because at the end of the day, and I think something that, you know, coding is a lot of fun. I'm not going to deny it. I, I like writing code, but we write code to solve problems, you know, like enterprise developers are writing code to solve business problems and to provide value to customers. We use code to create that value, but we don't have to, right? Like, We've seen this evolution over the past 30, 40 years where like we went from like this very low level languages, you know, like C assembly to like, you know, when Java came out, it was like, okay, great. You don't have to worry about garbage collection. And nobody said like, oh my God, like without garbage collection, developers are going to be out of jobs. Like, no, like, great. Nobody likes to manage memory except for C developers, but that's, that's on, on their own. I think we're going to see a generation jump, the generational jump where we might not care about code like we do now, and we might care more about like putting things together. Maybe that dream of like developers as kind of more like building this complex flows and then letting their AI filling the gaps with code. And then we just kind of like write whatever needs to be written. Almost like a, a very senior engineer and a junior engineer kind of thing. I can I can see that as, as something that AI will allow us to, to do. And, and by virtue of that, we're gonna be way more effective. We're going to be able to like solve a lot more problems. And I, I find that a lot more interesting, you know, like, like this kind of high level innovation is a lot more fun than having to write, you know, like we've all written code to like write into a database a million times. And that's not what makes a product win a category or not. Like it's, it's high level. So that's kind of how I see it. Ciao, what have you been looking at this week? So each week I do some research on related ideas and transformation in tech. And this week I thought we should take a look at how AI can transform the software engineering process. 
and we already mentioned it, but let's cover it a bit more. So the use of AI-powered tools can significantly improve the efficiency of software development processes. While AI can help software engineers complete repetitive tasks, like we already mentioned, it is not expected to replace them. Instead, AI will empower development teams to accelerate app development, write better code, and optimize the software engineering lifecycle. AI-powered tools will also speed up the pace of modern software development, promote experimentation, and transform the software engineering funnel in the future. So a question to all of you. We already covered the writing code part of AI, where developers can benefit of using AI. But where do we also see AI being adopted in the software development lifecycle on short term? You've got the, let's make developers go fast with AI, but what about the testers and all that sort of stuff? I don't see much in the testing and security domain yet. Now, there's lots of AI in detecting things, but there's not so much AI in accelerating those domains. So you take what we discussed about hyper-automation. I think there's still more productivity had down the chain. And what we'll find is suddenly the developers will become hyper-productive and then it'll get stuck somewhere else in the system. So I think there's a sequence of, oh, we need AI for this and AI for that. And then you'll need a model for the testers and a model for the developers because you can't use the same model for both because you need a bit of check and balance to make sure that you've not you've not biased things. So I think there's a there's other domains, particularly in the software development lifecycle, that quite soon are probably going to romp over the horizon and say, all right, we need a bit of that as well. Thanks. Well one thing I'm seeing that I like a lot is for analyzing production um, traffic and finding issues. Datadog released a, a beta this at their conference of like, you know, you have like Terabytes of logs, and hey, find what's wrong. Yeah, but models can help us kind of surface. Hey, you know this this API has been returning the right the wrong result for the last five days, and you may want to look into this degradation here. I think that every anything that relates to like analyzing vast amount of data is something that AI will very quickly kind of emerge to help us kind of like just help us get to the hotspots quicker. Like I don't think it's going to replace someone analyzing and understanding. Hey, this is a failure or expected, but Kind of finding the hotspots in your logs, in your failures, in your security vulnerabilities, and help you identify which ones you have to quickly fix is something that uh, I hope AI fixes because it's it's something that can be really hard, especially on on large distributed services. I also had the view of AI spotting when developers are just writing dodgy code. And they go, <laughs> they go, I spotted Dave's just put a line, a line in the system that looks like it's just not going to work very well in production. Best go have a chat and make sure he doesn't see You wouldn't it, need it, a very sophisticated AI to spot that, Rob. <laughs> just the idea of the, the AI's like, if it just deletes your code after you've written the line and said, try better. <laughs> or try harder, sorry. <laughs> sorry, try again. You could do better next time. I suggest you meet my <laughs> chatbot friend who might be able to give you some training in how to do what you're doing <laughs> why don't you go outside and look at the pretty bunny rabbits and let the ai do your job for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you what do you think the uh time frames are amira when you look at the bringing together a lot of this tool set that we've just been talking about both in the main conversation today and justin schalke's input here are we three years away from intense additional levels of automation ai driven automation is it five years? Is it sooner than that? What, what's your thinking? You know, seeing what has happened over the past 12 months. It's absolutely strange. The AI is just insane. Like I was talking mm. to, like somebody brought up this up the other day, which is on Twitter, which is like, or X.com, I guess now, that said, hey, you know, DALI and, and kind of this image generation, that was 12 months ago that they came up. 
Yeah. And since then it's like just it's it's wild. And to me it's amazing not only how fast it's moving forward, how fast are companies building useful things on top of it and just like releasing them. That seems to be the breakthrough to me. Is like yeah. there is something about what's happened post Gen AI that's just unleashed a level of creativity into yeah. the world yeah. that it's like, Absolutely. oh my God, where did this come from? It's like machine learning didn't do this. You know what I mean? The uh, case in point, I was writing something today and I, need, uh, I needed a little icon. So I just typed in the natural language of what I wanted in the icon into um, Creator and then uh, asked for it in a white background, pop back, bang in the presentation. Don't have to send it off to the graphics team and ask for anything. It's like, bang, that'll do. Thanks, bang, Oop, save. And it was just in that, saves you and you, you add up all those little savings yeah. where you can ask the system to be creative on your behalf and suddenly you've got this massive compound effect it's just teaching people to remember to use the tool because sometimes you think oh, i should have just done that over there instead and you fall back into your old ways of working so there's a bit of i think it's going to take a little bit of time for the human to remember oh, i can do this differently hmm. on that note what a thought-provoking bit of conversation and a great walk through the world of developer productivity and creativity ramiro so thank you so much for joining us on the show today thank you for having me it was uh, an amazing conversation now we end every episode of this podcast by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next and that could be got a brilliant restaurant or film booked that i want to go see at the weekend or it could be something going on in your professional life or it could be both so ramiro what are you excited about doing next oh many things but it's it's early friday here so i'm excited that the week's gonna be over yeah, man. And there's a couple of new restaurants that are uh, in town that, uh, that we want to try. I live in San Francisco, so the food scene here is is really good. So there's this Peruvian place we want to try out tonight that I'm lo- looking forward to. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Rob and I were in San Fran for Google Next recently, and we went to John's Tunnel. Grill. John's oh, no. Grill. T- and Tunnel Top, the bar. And that Tunnel Top Bar. We were I love that bar. It's, it's such a funny place. Great. Finding it, you need a degree in, well, it is actually <laughs> Tunnel Top. It's on top of a tunnel. So actually they've named it very sensibly. It's, it's actually literally that. It's, it's really funny. Just need to know which tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> so Dave tried to find it. A look of confusion <laughs> on his face was quite, quite funny. And John's Grill is great. It's one of the oldest, I think it's one of the oldest restaurants in the US. Is that right? It's, it's Absolutely very, delicious it's seasoning on their fries. Absolutely delicious seasoning <laughs> on their fries. Don't know what it is, but lovely, isn't it? It was. <laughs> it is. we, we, we went back three times, let's be honest. It was, it was popular. <laughs> <laughs> we did indeed. So a huge thanks to our guest this week. Ramiro, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks also to our sound and editing wizards, Ben and Louis, our barbecuing producer, Marcel, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and X, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan, Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and please get in touch if you have any comments or ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week. Bye.